0: Once again, dear listeners, this is the newest episode of the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor.
1: I'm Crystal, and um, Matt is not here with us tonight. He's on call at the hospital. And I'm Sylvia. And I'm Vera, and Alex will be back down in a minute. He's putting the baby to sleep.
0: Dear listeners, we want to thank you for your patience. We know that it has been a long time since we put out... Uh, a new podcast episode for your listening pleasure. Uh, In our defense, the last time we were scheduled to record, one of our members had a baby. (laughs) So there was a good excuse for putting that off. Life has been busy. There was the holidays, but now we're back and we're ready for action. We also want to recognize, and we've heard from a number of you, uh, that... Uh, you are having trouble accessing older episodes on iTunes. We recognize that that has been a problem. Our podcast podcast hosting platform uh, has been switching servers over the past few months. We have been assured that the problem will be resolved in the near future, and we hope that is the case. We appreciate your patience, but hopefully, before too long, all of our older episodes will be available for listening. Well, this episode is going to be a special conversation in honor of reaching the end of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, finishing our first book in the Harry Potter canon. We have devoted this episode to a special bonus question and answer conversation. So what we've done is fielded some of the email questions that we've received over the past couple of months, we've saved them up, and now we're going to treat them all for you. If you have a question or comment that you would like us to read or answer in an upcoming episode, you can always reach out to us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter and contact us there. Our handles are at hpbcpodcast. And now to kick us off in this bonus Q&A episode, Vera is going to read our first listener-submitted question.
2: Okay, this question comes from Ben. Um, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. It's a pretty long question. So he has asked, if Harry Potter is a horcrux, can he die? Um, he is submitting that Harry should have died um, in the in the chamber at the very end of Sorcerer's Stone when he's attacked by Quarrel and that it might be an indication, an early indication of him being a horcrux, that he did not die. So let's discuss that. Do we Do we think that Harry is somehow invincible because of the horcrux that's a part of him.
0: Well, before we get there, Mm -hmm. I think we would all agree that him not dying at the end of book one is not, in fact, giving that away. Yeah. That we don't have any indication that Harry is a horcrux at the end of book one because the thing that protects him is... The magic, the spell that's cast over him by his mother's sacrifice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's what ends up blocking, you know, his impending death, right. um, if that were to happen. Not anything that's going on in his soul and sharing part of Voldemort, right? But that doesn't answer, you know, the bigger question, mm-hmm. which is, can Harry die
2: by something? other than those things that we know can destroy a horcrux, like Fiendfire or Basilisk Venom or something like that. So what do we think? Is Harry semi-invincible until the horcrux is destroyed?
1: My initial thought is that because he is a living breathing thing, he is the protector of the peaceable of Voldemort's soul. So just like the locket or the riddle is the thing that's encapsulating, is that a word? the the soul those things are destroyed if Harry stops living, if he stops being able to protect that soul, then he can if he's killed in any way, if he's ran through with a knife or whatever, he the the piece of Voldemort's soul would also die. That's my initial thought. Hmm. Because it's not Harry's soul that we're talking about. It's a piece of soul that needs to be protected.
0: The locket though protects Voldemort's soul and you would think that just smashing it would be fine but it's not just Voldemort's soul that's protected it's that the locket is like impenetrable mm-hmm.
1: but i'm just i'm arguing that because harry is not impenetrable because he is a living breathing thing yeah. that the thing that's holding this horcrux that Voldemort never intended to hold a horcrux is actually living if that thing dies then that is destroying it
2: i think that might be more the key that Voldemort didn't intend to make harry a horcrux So these objects that he chose and like prepared to hold Horcrux might be impenetrable in a way that Harry
3: isn't because Mm -hmm. that was an accident. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Uh, This is spoiler alert, but I am (laughs) always always jumping to the end of uh, book seven. (laughs) I've always thought, and I, this may be totally wrong, but I've always thought that the reason Harry can die and come back is because the part of him that dies was the Horcrux part of him. And Mm so, um, when Voldemort, You know, cast that spell. It's killing the horcrux, and so then Harry actually gets this choice to come back. Um, And so, to me, um, I might fall on the side that maybe he couldn't die, but I also think there's bigger things going on with the prophecy and like magic itself, almost protecting Harry in in the way that sometimes we see his wand doing things to protect him. So, Mm -hmm. I think I might be a little bit on the side that Harry is. There's a sense in which he's protected. He's not so easy to kill. Um, because of the horcrux Mm. that gives him some layer of protection
0: well we've raised the question though of whether intentionality on voldemort's part plays any factor in his invincibility and i'm not sold on that idea simply because when we're told that only incredibly powerful magic like really destructive magic can kill horcruxes it's only incredibly destructive magic can kill horcruxes. And a horcrux is a horcrux, whether it was intended to be or not.
3: That's mm-hmm.
0: true. And which, I'm sympathetic to, Crystal, what you said. I mean, Harry is a living, breathing
2: thing. And he does get hurt a lot.
0: <laughs> he- it's,
2: it's not like he's... Totally invincible. Mm-hmm. He, gets, yeah. he gets so broken. He, in, in he gets that sense, he's a lot.
0: he's not like the locket. Yeah, I mean, he's got bones disappearing out of his poor arm, <laughs> and the guy's got to get he's bleeding
2: every time you see him. Right,
0: and the the thing about the locket that's so funny when we first meet it is that it doesn't even have a scratch. Mm. Yeah, which does suggest that the part, or the the essence of the Horcrux, the part of Voldemort's soul that it's housing, is not protecting Harry in quite the same way Mm -hmm. that it was the locket. Yeah. We also have another living creature Mm -hmm. that is a Horcrux, with Nagini, and Rowling made it very clear that at least the main characters think that it's got to be something empowered with this destructive magic that kills the snake Mm -hmm. Um, because right aren't aren't they saying we we have to make sure we get the sword of Gryffindor because Mm
1: -hmm. right
0: and go for Nagini if she had written the end with Nagini like I don't know falls off the top of Hogwarts and you know gravity kills it Mm -hmm. well then we'd sort of have our answer but
1: but that actually brings up another point for me, which is that when Harry instructs Neville as the third person to kill the snake, he just says "kill the snake." He doesn't say "use the sword to kill the snake," and we don't even know where the sword is at this point. Mm-hmm. And it falls out of the out of the Sorting Hat. So if he was just meant to kill the snake, mm-hmm. and there's no instruction about yeah. how to do it, it's just coincidence that he uses the right. sword well, that was magical venom. providence, right? Yeah. So if he was if if, in, if we're taking that as, you know, literal, then killing the snake should have killed the Horcrux, too.
0: Right. And I guess my point is that if Rowling hadn't written it such that the sword
1: did it... Right. ...we'd have
0: a much clearer answer. Right. Because now we're sitting here saying, well, was Harry in for a really sore disappointment <laughs> when Neville tried to kill the snake? And I don't, I don't even know what would have happened if the snake was indestructible. Um mm-hmm.
3: The snake can't have been indestructible, though, or Voldemort wouldn't have had it. I mean, he had it surrounded in that bubble True. of protection. And so, I mean, uh, maybe he's just cautious, right? Because the most fearful rulers are. They, they're they paranoid people. Um, and so, I mean, it could have just been paranoia. But I do think the fact that he's trying to protect the snake means...
0: But he also knows that somebody's been going around killing yeah. his horcruxes. So whoever it is has access to the kind of magic that right. could do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not just... Nagini's been clumsy lately. I want to make sure she doesn't get hurt. It's somebody's after me. Um, yeah, I'm sort of undecided on this me one. Too. But I, I tend to think that there are things that Dumbledore says that give the impression that Dumbledore thinks Harry's not really in trouble. Until the moment, the decisive moment is going to come. Which makes me think that the way Rowling has written the stories, perhaps Harry is kind of safe. Invincible in the sense that he's not going to die Mm
1: -hmm.
0: until the final showdown. Right.
1: Showdown, yeah. Or at the very least, from the moment Voldemort resurrected himself using Harry's blood, Voldemort felt confident that Harry could at least not die. Or he could kill Voldemort and return. Because he has that moment where when Harry says that Voldemort took his blood in the fourth book, that Mm -hmm. there's something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes. So maybe that was the moment that it clicked for him. There's a connection between them now that ties Harry to the earth Mm -hmm. where he could come Mm -hmm. back.
0: Yeah, that is that is an important detail. I'm not mm. sure we've settled.
2: I don't think we did. We just came up with more more thoughts on it. Listeners, solve it for us. Write <laughs> us in. Do we want to move on to another question? Let's do it. Okay. Um, another one from Ben. How different was Voldemort in the first war? Um, he, he brings up our assessment of origins of the air. If you've listened to that episode... We were not the biggest fans of it, but it was interesting to kind of delve into those uh, different questions. Um, he Ben suggests that uh, Voldemort may have had a different sort of demeanor during the First War. He says, I kind of imagine him walking on water and collecting followers with his abilities instead of inciting fear. What do you think? We, we, we don't think that he was different the first time.
3: What were you going to say, Sylvia? Well, the, the only time... We do see he uses his charm with mm-hmm. Slughorn. Um, he manipulates. He mm-hmm. uses knowledge. Uh, he plays to Slughorn's vanity. You know, knows his favorite candy. So... I think he is capable of being the sort of charmer Mm -hmm. person. The question is, was that how he was overall? I think he does it at Hogwarts because he's in such a position where he does not have power. I mean, he has to submit Mm -hmm. to people, so he would rather manipulate the teachers Mm -hmm. um, because he doesn't have much other choice. But I think once he gets out of that, I think he would see that manipulation as degrading. Um, But that's my two cents.
0: When we're told that when he goes off and dives... Deeper into the dark arts than anyone ever had before, that when he comes back he is almost unrecognizable mm-hmm. to anyone else as the person who used to be Tom riddle um, i the The detail where people as you know voldemort 's attacks uh, throughout these books ramp up uh, people will frequently say it's it 's getting as bad as it was the first time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Which leads me to think that his M.O. hasn't changed. Um, Voldemort seems like the kind of person who from day one of his attempt to take over has always used fear and the kind of manipulation that preys on other people's desire for his praise. He's in this position of power and he keeps... Uh, weaker people in his camp by making promises to them that he never keeps. And, and even so in discord, that's one of the things that we often hear among his followers is, well, the dark lord loves me best. Mm. And that's never the case. Nobody's immune to the wrath that he brings. But he uses the fear of that wrath to make people believe they're in a special situation so that they'll keep on uh, doing his bidding. Uh, but it seems like His work out in the world is just a constant reign of terror.
1: Yeah. And we don't get much look at his past really, but the place where we get most of it is in book six, where we learn a little about his time at Hogwarts. And I think Dumbledore points out that, you know, the Death Eaters or the people that Tom Riddle surrounded himself with were the four runners of the Death Eaters, and they were responsible for a lot of bad things happening at Hogwarts, like moaning Myrtle's death, opening the Chamber Chamber of Secrets, and he was never successfully linked to those things, but obviously he was inciting some sort of fear. And then even in the orphanage, he was using fear um, with the children in the cave, like they were afraid of him, Mm -hmm. all of those things. Mm -hmm. So it seems like his MO has always been fear. Yeah, Mm -hmm. fear
0: and outright violence. Um, Although that season at Hogwarts where he was under the tutelage and the authority of certain professors. There was a facade definitely
2: going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. we we'll to look at some of Sam's questions now. Um, this first one uh, references a comment that Crystal made um, in the episode where we talked about the Mirror of Erised and how Draco makes fun of Harry and Ron for um, harry's Harry for his family and having lost his family and Ron for his poverty, um, and those are the exact things that they see in the mirror of Erised. Um and he asks, what do we think Draco would see in the mirror
3: i don 't have a quick answer, but I have musings on this <laughs> um, so the uh, we see in the beginning of Chamber of Secrets when Harry lands in Alley by accident overseas um, Draco. It, uh, his father is um, pretty hard on him. And yeah. um, I, I wonder about his father's approval, like his father being proud of him. Yeah. Um, because Harry, like, clearly, if his parents were alive, I think he would have their pride in him. Um, and so, I, in some ways, Draco to me is like an anti Harry. And mm-hmm. I think his father does not approve, says, you know, you're average. You're letting mudbloods, you know, get better grades than you, and um, just just sort of disappointed in him. So I think he he would want to be exceptional, um, in his father's eyes and maybe in the school's eyes because again, compared to Harry, Harry just walks into the school and like because of his story, he is exceptional. Um, he's remarkable. He's a natural at Quidditch, and he, he um, I think Malfoy would probably see some of that exception exceptionality.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think. Drago's very driven by wanting to please his father, who's very difficult to please. Even though he's the only child of this very wealthy um, family that has everything they could ask for and power and influence, he's still not good enough. And I think, yeah, some some version of father approval would be in the mirror, I think, for sure. Yeah. Anybody have another thought?
0: That was exactly... Where my imagination went to, um, when I think I think this is correct that when he's given the opportunity to turn back from his plan uh, in book six, um, is it right that he says the Dark Lord will kill my family? Yes. Yeah, that's that's his fear, and I, I but I'm, I'm with you. I think. Um, he has this incredible burden uh, of living up to the family name. the The glimpses into their home that we get are are ones of harshness, um, of a sense of familial superiority, and this sense from Dad that Draco is not living up into that. And so I, I'm I'm interested that we all sort of mm-hmm. have been tracking on this, the same thing thus far. Um, but I I really do think that that could be something that is deeply motivating his superiority complex, but also the facade that he puts on. But it also comes through in this sort of pitiful weakness that we see in him when he's a, a broken young man um, who is recognizing that he's not... Capable of living up to the expectations.
1: Well, I like what you all said way better than what I was thinking. I didn't go along those lines really at all. Um, I just have always felt like Dr- Draco is a very like misunderstood character, and he's very bitter and resentful towards all these things that Harry has. So maybe a little along li- along the lines of the exceptionality that you were talking about, Sylvia. Um, but I was thinking. I read something, maybe it was on Pottermore or something that J.K. Rowling came out with um, after she'd finished releasing all of the books that said something about Draco had attended Fred Weasley's funeral at some point and like stood in the back and that he'd always thought Fred was funny, which I thought was really... It it endeared me towards Malfoy. But then also in um, um, The Cursed Child, Draco tells Harry that he always envied Harry um, his friendship with Ron and Hermione. And so I always think about that in terms of like, Draco doesn't really have really good friends. Mm-hmm. They're not, I mean, we get the way we're meant to take it is that like Crabbe and Goyle and all of these people are just around him because of his status, who he is. They're Slytherins. So we immediately think that they're, you know, awful people, which isn't always the case, of course. And I would never say that. Um, I would. <laughs> of course I wouldn't say that. But we're in, we're, we're made to believe that Slytherin just makes you bad. And so I always just thought like maybe Draco has a good side. And so what he would see is like people seeing himself for who he really is. Um this like person that could be loved for actually who he is rather than you know what his family name brings him or who what he is as a Slytherin. So maybe just real friends or something like that surrounding him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Alex is back with us. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts?
1: <laughs> On the spot.
4: <laughs> uh, I think you're entirely correct, Crystal, in, in the way that you analyze sort of the difference in the friend relationships. I think that's that is something that would not have occurred to me immediately, but when you put it like that, I think having real friends would be something he would want to he would see himself surrounded by. Uh, here's here's a thought.
0: Um, because my, my response is that Malfoy has the friends that kind of Malfoy deserves. Mm-hmm. The people who come into his life are those who are, who are attracted to the front that he's putting on. Mm-hmm. So if it's the case that Malfoy sees in the mirror a different set of relationships and friends, it will also be the case that Malfoy will see a different Draco. Mm-hmm. That's totally true.
1: Yeah, I really mm-hmm. like that.
0: And... If we're following that line, it could be that what Malfoy wants more than anything, and maybe this bridges the gap, is to be the kind of person who isn't a slave to his desire for status, which is simultaneously what animates his friendships and is the way that he's trying to get his father's approval.
1: Yeah. I like that.
2: What if
3: Draco just looks in the mirror and sees Harry he wishes he was Harry mm. that was another thing I thought <laughs> I, of I honestly thought that too being Harry Potter I had yeah. it in my notes we were thinking the same what? thing I yeah. mean yeah I think
1: part of why he's so eaten up about Harry is he's, he wants that yeah, he's mm. very jealous mm.
2: you
1: know? of Harry's like you said his exceptionality but also just the fame that he has for yeah. but he's famous for a good thing
3: right. as opposed to an ugly you know yeah, a dark thing
4: but to your point Trevor I mean isn't there a sense in which that's the case with all the times that people are looking at the mirror head, that they don't just see the things that they they want but in a, in a sense like for example with Harry to see himself surrounded by his parents to have had his parents would have made him a different Harry he would never have lived with the Dursleys he would never have been subjected to the kind of Torturous existence of his first, you know, he would have had a real childhood in a way that he could never Mm. imagine And I think all that is wrapped up in the in the vision of the mirror that he would have but um Mm.
2: I think that's kind of reverse order though Like Harry is the way that he is because of this tragedy that happened to him and Malfoy Has a tragic life because of the way that he is In a lot of ways I think because Malfoy has this demeanor, he has bad, shallow friends who are just attracted to his status. I mean, obviously, he can't control his father's approval, but I don't know. That it just feels a little bit different.
3: Hmm. But I get your point. Good question. Yeah, yeah very good are, that was Any other great mm-hmm. question. Okay.
1: Um, also from Sam, do you have the one about the umbrella? Oh, it's just, um, does, do we ever see Hagrid's pink umbrella come back? Or is it just a cute little thing that we see in book one that never returns? I'm
4: certain we do. Yeah,
1: it comes back. Crystal, did you have some ideas of when it comes back? Yeah, so off, just off the cuff, I didn't verify it, but it it comes back in, initially I thought book three, but maybe it's actually Chamber of Secrets, where, um, Hagrid is growing some pumpkins for the Great Hall for Halloween, and he nudges his pink umbrella when they ask him how they got so big. Um, and so Harry kind of implies that, you know, it was Hagrid putting some sort of spell on them, getting them larger. And then definitely in book six, I remember when um, the Death Eater set Hagrid's cabin on fire. Um, Harry tells him the spell is Aguamenti and he points his umbrella at the cabin, and they both put the fire out together. I'm sure it comes back more than that, but those are the two times I can definitely remember. Mm-hmm. Does Sam's question address why a pink umbrella? Like, <laughs> does he
2: ask that? a cute that? little detail.
1: Like, Hagrid doesn't care. So opposite of Hagrid. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, you know, Hagrid's this tall, huge, you know, quote-unquote manly guy. Mm-hmm. So this little pink umbrella is sort of anti-his image. Mm-hmm. But it sort of shows his nature, too, that he's so sweet and tender. It's not pink in the movie, is it? Isn't it like a black umbrella? I don't
2: remember. Because you see him I'm I'm thinking of the scene where he um lights the fire. Yeah.
4: That's just dark. I'm pretty sure I it's still it's a, a pink novel. umbrella, it's just dark.
2: I will Google it. <laughs> Let's look it up.
4: Okay.
0: <laughs> That'd be a big oversight.
2: I think yeah, it would the, be a
4: huge oversight.
2: Where the,
0: the question is coming from, though, is this sense that if Hagrid has a magical pink umbrella, why don't we see it more mm-hmm. um throughout the books? Especially since it's not like any of those characters are, like, trying to hide their mischief. Mm-hmm. Especially when they're in sort of the privacy of Hagrid's hut or in other places where they're away from public viewing. Um,
2: well, it is pinkish, isn't it? It's pink. That's good. We have yeah, confirmation. It's mm-hmm. pink in the movie.
0: Huzzah. Um, so, any thoughts on that, guys? Sort of the, uh, a question underneath the question. Why don't we see it more often than we do? Is it because it's just in a magical in a magical world all of these plot devices it's too much mm. like there are too many things that are possible when magical objects proliferate throughout the plot of a story and so you've got to sort of put the limits on some to keep the story moving forward
1: yeah I mean, I, I think that makes sense what you're saying there, because I'm just thinking technically, Haggard could get away with using this umbrella because there's magic all over Hogwarts, mm-hmm. so unless he, you know he's just <sighs> governing himself independently and saying, "I will follow what the Ministry of Magic said I should do, like he could use his umbrella any time, and they're never going to be able to trace it to him because supposedly you know they can't say where the magic came from, just right. that it occurred in a place where it wasn't supposed to be happening. Mm-hmm.
2: I think just from like a literary standpoint, JK just doesn't want to sit like every time we see Hagrid and he had his pink umbrella, you know, like I don't, I don't think it needs to be said constantly because yeah. it's already a detail that we know and I don't think he always has it with him because yeah. then he'd have to carry it. It's not like something he could put, well, I guess he could put it in his big old trench coat, but <laughs> it's, it's not like a regular wand that he's always got with him because he doesn't use it constantly like yeah. other wizards
4: do. Yeah. Do we see other wizards carry umbrellas? I mean, I feel like often when you have scenes like where there's a lot of people entering a, an office building or something, it's a very common device to see people, like lots of people with umbrellas and things like that, carrying with them because it's like a common... Especially in London. Especially in London. Especially in London. And I don't feel like we see that, hmm. really. It's not mean. It's as though because... Perhaps there's a spell that could do essentially the same thing.
2: Well, I mean, in the Fantastic Beasts series, we do see them use their wands like umbrellas.
1: That's mm-hmm. true.
4: Yes, we do.
2: But then if you're walking to work in London, you wouldn't be able right, to, exactly. to do that because <laughs> of the mackles. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: it's also possible that it's there all the time and he's using it but we just aren't told again because literally rarely to be like Hagrid pulled out his yeah. you know pink umbrella and cast a sort of yeah. spell, I just spell. like just more mean
0: when Hagrid has a problem and frankly Hagrid has a lot of problems mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it would you would just think that even in these sort of subtle ways like him nudging the umbrella, like there would be a nod that ma- that Hagrid does still have magical skill,
3: mm-hmm.
0: not just knowledge about magical creatures, um, and and he's got the resources to make magic happen. So
3: this may be just a bias, but I mean, it, I don't think of him as being good at magic. Um, again, I mean, expelled at an early age, yeah. didn't complete his education. Magical doesn't seem skill like he may was... have
0: been strong language for, yeah. for <laughs> <laughs> the magical. Potential.
3: <laughs> Not proficiency. Not
2: proficiency. Well, and, and also, it's like pieces of a wand in... In the umbrella, yeah. right? So we've got to assume that it's probably not foolproof. Like when Ron's oh, wand gosh, breaks yeah. and right. he's got it taped up with tape, it's always going Which off doing crazy stuff. man,
0: are some of the best scenes yes. in this next book that we're going to be working through. And it's through. not
2: even completely broken. Right. And so this is just pieces of a wand and an yeah. umbrella. We've got to assume it's not super reliable. Right. that's true. So he's yeah. got other tools like his crossbow and, and <laughs> other things that he uses to... Accomplish tasks. Okay, let's Onward move on to another one. Oh, this is an interesting one. Uh, how did the Potters get all that money in the Gringotts vault? How did they amass all that wealth that they left to Harry?
4: Clearly, like any thoughtful set <laughs> of parents, they made sure that they contacted a solid agent at you know something <laughs> like um, you know Gringotts Mutual. Um, <laughs> And you know, set themselves up for the good insurance policy. Doubtlessly, also with their, you know, they seem to have had at least decently long careers. And I have no idea what the 401k or pension plan system is like. But do you
2: know what the Potters did? No, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my my hunch is that. James would have been an aura. Me too. Yeah. But but we not I don't,
2: everybody. You yeah. Don't, like, seriously. Not everybody can be an aura. Yeah.
0: It's like it's the just, Navy Seals of yeah. the magical community. Right. Not it's every, like every character for the can be that ministry yeah.
2: Or you're in like magical cleanup. I, like. We just don't know enough jobs mm-hmm. yeah. that or people you have in the wizarding community. You own a shop.
0: Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, you because, maybe same same he was like a con artist or something, and that's <laughs> how he got all the money.
2: Or
1: well, the the, um, the order might have. He was unemployed well they said that to aunt marge right so
3: right
2: yes. I, I, we know like but but is there some truth to that did they did they have magical jobs well we don't
3: know what they were i don't know but my theory uh i love alex's theory i've never had that my, my thought was simply that
0: um, you have never thought they had an insurance policy
3: no, but I think it's a great idea. Okay. I think it's possible. Um, but I, I think uh, that right after the death, like the whole magical community, there was this outpouring and understanding. Like this boy has been orphaned. Um, I think that probably people felt compelled to give and just like sent money. Maybe sent it to Dumbledore or whoever. And um, I think that just in in the aftermath of that, that he might have accrued. They might have accrued a lot of money just through donations um, of people just wanting to give an outpouring.
0: And that seems like an eminently reasonable answer, except that Hagrid's statement when Harry is taken aback by how much money there is, is you didn't think your parents would leave you with nothing, did you?
3: How does Hagrid know what his well, parents... It, so it, it just oh, sounds agree. like
0: Hagrid's suggesting that the parents are the ones who were responsible for the money in the vault, and it wasn't but a it, sort of...
3: Well, I mean, Post Mr. Weasley has a steady government job and no money, and Harry's loaded. And his parents hadn't been working that long, and they were living a decently nice lifestyle. So I think that Haggard might have just said that.
0: Maybe they were like amateur inventors. I mean, there that could have been. Big.
3: James could have received an inheritance from his family. Mm-hmm. I mean, there could have been money coming down from well, his es- side.
0: Especially since, from what I know, Harry's got no other living relatives
1: mm-hmm. right.
0: on um on that side of the family. Uh so it it would be possible that generational wealth had passed into his possession.
3: Oh, because everyone's dead.
4: That's also and, another
3: And he's an only child, so you're right, there'd be more wealth for him.
4: I, additionally, <laughs> we know that the family home was also destroyed. Which more <laughs> insurance, which might also contribute to the big insurance payout? I mean, it the...
2: does not cover Dark Lord on the policy. Sorry. Oh, what!
4: <laughs> I was certain I got the I got the Death Eater Rider plan. Right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like some some don't cover acts of God, others don't
4: cover acts of Dark Lords. Yeah, dark,
2: dark magic not included. In well, that's um,
4: <laughs> that seems like to me a. a poorly underwritten policy <laughs> for the Harry Potter universe. If you haven't made sure, you know, you're covered for all sorts of, you know, fiend fire and <laughs> basilisk attack every contingency. And every
1: <laughs> So if you guys want to know how they really made their money, Ready, tell, we do. tell, yes, tell, we tell us,
3: tell us, tell us.
1: Spill the beans. I can tell you because J.K. Rowling did actually address this on Pottermore. <sighs> um... And it's it's kind of what you said about the generational wealth. There was a wizard in the 12th century whose name was Linfrid who was known for making potions for muggles. And they came and bought all of these things and they didn't realize he was a wizard. And then suddenly the magical world realized he was making these potions that were curing like common colds and all of these things. So he invented multiple potions that are used even today including the Skelligrew potion and the pepper-up potion. And so he made all of this money and it passed down genera- generationally all the way to Harry's parents. It ah, yeah, came out on James's awesome. side because the Linford's last name was actually Potterer but it had been I guess contorted over the centuries to be just Potter.
4: So, so hold on a second. We've <laughs> got, what you're saying is we've got eight centuries of continual interest income <laughs> growth?
1: Yes. Apparently, they're making uh, dividends, I guess, off of that
3: Skelligro and yeah. Pepper Up potion. Yeah. There weren't any um, prodigal sons who squandered the whole thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just I says that not. it made I guess if they're also descended from the Peverils. like well, that's maybe what they're I'm just sitting a here thinking.
0: Harry's got the Peverils of- in his background. And the guy who invented Skelligrow. Right. I mean, the magical hit, community is pretty. He has small. hit the genealogical jackpot. Mm-hmm. The other
1: thing too is that James is a pure blood, and I think other than the Weasleys, every pure blood family we see is pretty wealthy. Mm-hmm. So that I think mm-hmm. that kind of goes hand in hand with it as well. So that maybe it's this Linford guy, but then also just the pure bro- pure blood wealth where they've been marrying other wealthy families mm-hmm. down yes. the line, and so they've just laid the foundation of wealth and then built on top of it.
2: So, the Weasleys, like, maybe were wealthy and they just had too many kids.
3: <laughs> well, I, I think that's another question, and maybe we perhaps we think that, about that for another episode. Why are the Weasleys so poor? Yeah. Um, I mean,
2: there's magic. There's times they open that
3: <laughs> vault and there's nothing in the yeah. whole vault, and their older kids are grown. It's not like they're paying for all the kids at once, yeah, you know? Right. Anyway. Well, I
0: mean, it seems like the older kids have. Decent paying jobs. Right. I mean, Are they ever
3: sending a check home to We've got dragon wranglers. And, and curse breaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and right hand hand I mean, to the Mr. Magic, well, Mr. Successful.
2: <laughs>
0: well, but, yeah, it's like, take care of your folks. Right. Come on. Send some money back.
1: I would imagine, though, that Mr. and Mrs. Weasley wouldn't want them to. I sure just picture wouldn't. them being that kind of family. Like, no, we'll manage. Even in this book that we're getting ready to start, the Chamber of Secrets, they say, oh, we'll manage when they've got, like, 12 sets of Gilderoy Lockhart books oh, to buy. Mm, and they have like cruel. one galleon in the vault. I just keep thinking, like, how did they buy those books that day? Mm-hmm.
4: Well, what we're not seeing is the expansive set of credit options available to any oh modern Listen, if you've ever been to Harry Potter World at Universal <laughs> Studios, you
0: have seen the expansive set of credit options. <laughs> They have a currency exchange where you can trade them your dollars for wizarding money. Oh, boy. I Which, missed that. Is that really? for real? That is, yeah.
1: Wow, okay.
0: Mm.
3: And it's no. not a good exchange, right? Really. <laughs> well, Let's all no kidding. To say that. I,
4: it's I mean, it's, wow. it's, 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 it's
0: clearly a sort of souvenir type thing. Oh, like
3: So you don't spend the money. You like, can actually go into, like... It wasn't Gringotts. It was another place where you could trade in your money.
0: Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was like a, an exchange office. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: I missed that.
1: Wow.
0: But it was like, it was, you know, get galleons. Mm. and.
1: Can you spend your galleons at like the Leaky Cauldron on lunch? I, or... I don't think so. Okay, yeah. that's bad. Just, you're just paying
0: Clearly, to take
1: money
2: home?
0: Clearly, I didn't stand in line... <laughs> To give them my dollars, so that no. I could get some wizarding paper.
1: He made a good choice buying the every flavored beans.
0: Yeah, those were good. They, those they were, were also. Those were not good. It was a good experience. <laughs> those were not good. Most of them are not good. They would give you paper galleons. Now I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Okay. I, don't, I was about to say. I don't. I don't, on, I I don't, don't remember. remember
4: heard time out. Yeah. There should be no introduction of paper currency. I mean this is it's very clear that the wizarding world is like old school hard Mm. currency folks. They do not believe in the printing of bills and notes of exchange. It's true. Um, I don't
3: either. (laughs)
0: Maybe they gave you a certificate of deposit. I don't Mm. know. Slippery slope, man. It's tough.
3: Okay. Are we ready to move I on feel to like we one? nailed that question. Yeah, now yeah. that we have the real answer. <laughs> yeah, we Crystal. had the
2: actual <laughs> answer to that one. Yeah. That's does nice.
0: Pottermore say anything about the rest this of these other stuff? We
2: should check. <laughs> um, okay. So this is a good one. In the Forbidden Forest, um, when Harry is attacked by the Thing in Black, that is stopped by the centaur. The question is: Is it Quirrell? Is it Voldemort? Is it a combo? And if so, if it is Quirrell then why is the sound of the cloak rustling on the leaves like something Harry's never heard before? If it's just Quirrell as a man attacking the unicorn, why is it so otherworldly?
4: Oh, a uh, follow-up. hmm For the combo, is it Quirlemort? There's
3: no
2: ship name. Or no. Oh. I like
4: Quirlemort. Yeah,
1: though. Yeah, That was very hard to say now that Quirlimort. I said it out loud. <laughs> um, and can I tag along to the rest of that yeah. question because there was more to it also? Yeah. Um he says it It makes it sound like some form of Voldemort and Coral is not human, and the movie makes it look even more not human. Mm-hmm. And so he says, if this is Voldemort or some form of Voldemort, is this the moment that the prophecy could have been fulfilled? And if so, did Forenzi prevent that from happening by stepping in? That's a, lot That's of a long question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the first part, I guess, yeah. the, the, is it... Voldemort is it Quirrell is it Quirrell Mort? I think um, I think it's Quirrell <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mort. I think it's both of them, and I think because in in the latter part of the book, Voldemort says to Harry, "You saw faithful Quirrell drinking unicorn blood for me," mm-hmm. so he sort of is affirming that it was he was there and Quirrell was drinking it. Mm. So it seems like it's both. But then the part about it being like otherworldly. I just keep thinking, like, logically, why would Harry have heard this sound before? Like, the Dursleys didn't exactly take him on outdoor expeditions for him to hear something like cloaks slithering on the grass. But then also, that's probably how I would have reacted if I'd heard it, some Mm -hmm. unearthly noise. I would have said, like, I've never heard anything like that Mm -hmm. before. So that just seems like a normal human response to that sound.
0: Uh, I I agree with you. I think it it could have been Quirrell Mort
1: uh,
0: (laughs) sort of still... In Quirrell's normal physical body, slinking around, uh, cloaked and trying to be secretive, but in a sort of high-stress, high-adrenaline, sort of your senses on peak intensity, that sort of scenario, any sort of of out-of-the-ordinary sound could probably be described in that language. So that's, that's where I was thinking as well. As to, could this be the moment the prophecy was foretelling my sense is the answer would have to be no uh, because that moment happens like one or two chapters later and Harry is protected by his mother's spell so in the Forbidden Forest it would stand to reason that if forenzy doesn't get in the way Quirrell still can't Lay a hand on Harry. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I maybe read too much into this question, but I, I kept thinking about the literal language, I guess, of the prophecy where it says the Dark Lord would mark him as his equal and that Harry would have power that the Dark Lord knows not. And I keep thinking, like, if that is what is saying this is the prophecy, this is the moment that they will, you know, go head to head, I guess, Harry hasn't been built into the person that can face Voldemort yet. He's still a very young wizard, and so he's not yet Voldemort's equal in any way. And also, he hasn't been marked yet by all of the loss and um, tragedy that he... He's been marked by a lot, but not all of it that he's going to experience. Like with Sirius and all of these things that happen up until that point. Like Fred, like when he finally goes head-to-head with Voldemort... It is at a place where he has lost a ton. He's gained friendship and love and all of these things, which are the power that we hear he needs to overcome Voldemort. Also, Mm.
0: the resurrection stone opens at the close. Yeah. Which suggests that it's not coming out of that old snitch until Harry is ready Mm -hmm. to face so it's there's sort of this sort of magical confirmation i think of that the thing is the prophecy is worded in a way that you could say well of course he was marked he has right. a lightning scar right well, true yeah
1: Literal and marking. he was
0: marked as voldemort's equal the moment yes. yeah. the dark lord him. was
4: defeated
2: well, yeah, and Voldemort picked right. him over neville
4: well but yeah. more specifically voldemort was crushed right right by a baby. By a baby. Right. So that's true. So I think but that sounds like equal.
0: But I think that's the fun of the prophecy, mm-hmm. is that you're always like...
2: Anytime they meet, it could be... Wait,
0: what is this talking
2: about? <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 this was just a tad bit too vague. That's this was like the Nostradamus age. of wizarding prophecies. Like,
4: that... <laughs> that, is, that's one of those, that could no, refer that's to lots no. of I people. think that's just a good literary prophecy. Yeah, it is. If a, if a is, prophecy... Yeah. Doesn't make you think on more than one occasion. This has to be it.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Then, like, I mean, it's not a great literary yeah. prophecy. That's Agreed. like oracle of Delphi, right? And like every single time the the oracle was supposed to have given a prophecy, like the person doesn't get it right because it's interpreted in more than one way, Amen. and then it's almost always ironic <laughs> about how, like, oh, you know, you were gonna face this big big, uh, you know, there's going to be some big battle and then a the new emperor is going to be proclaimed but uh, it's not actually going to be yeah. you, the S- emperor. Yeah. Surprise, the battle was within you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Twist. Twist. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was Mort, because Quirrell is the one who actually physically has to drink the blood. Mm-hmm. I think Voldemort can't really do much oh, oh, apart from Quirrell. <laughs>
0: Not, Which brings us back to, to our
2: to our conversations about what
0: what is it like with Voldemort hanging out in that <laughs> turban? Like, was his I breath mean, stinking? Sleep, oh God. I know we talked a lot about the stench coming from the turban, but Mm -hmm. it's a really undignified place for the Dark Lord.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Well, there could be more undignified places for the Dark Lord to be than the back of somebody's
2: head. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's very true.
4: (laughs) Moving on.
2: (laughs) Anyway, I I do think that um, it does get a little bit Weird and confusing in the movie with how they had him like swoop across yeah. the ground and, I, and maybe it's just the unicorn blood, but it does look like he has fangs yeah. you know when he bears his teeth, and so i I think that was just like colorful cinematic excitement in that scene because it's it's a guy yeah <laughs> it's a guy in the forest um. And, you know, obviously there's something sinister and magical going on, but I don't think he's an otherworldly creature except for the Dark Lord in the back of the head there.
3: That Chris Columbus.
2: <laughs> Get it together, Trevor. Trevor's <laughs> lost it here, so... Is it still Alex's comment <laughs> <bells>? about <laughs> more undignified place? I'm sorry, I just... The I... oh, imagination goodness. does what
0: it will. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's, what's interesting, though, is that it seems like... Uh, and I have found myself really, really coming around to what you guys have been saying in past episodes about Dumbledore being in total control. He's setting all this up. He is... Um, I, I had a hard time thinking that of of Dumbledore, but the more we've dug in, and again, the more of reading and, and listening to the books that I've done, I'm, that to me seems to be the only explanation. And yet... Uh, it will never be the final showdown that the prophecy is talking about until the spell of Lily's blood protecting Harry is overcome, which happens in the graveyard, Mm -hmm. right? When Voldemort takes uh, Harry's blood into himself, which is ironically the moment that secures Harry not dying like you were saying before. It tethers him Mm -hmm. to the earth. His blood will survive in some sense, even if He's, he's assaulted. So, it's just interesting that we've we've got certain protections in place so that, Mm -hmm. though we don't even know really about the prophecy, um, at this point, it can't be, uh, given everything that we know, until, the initial hurdle of Lily's blood protection is overcome. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
2: Okay. Last question. One more question. We were going to go through. Crystal, do you have this one?
1: I'll just read it. Okay, so it says, in the movie, Harry kills Quirrell, right? I mean, his face flakes away and he disappears. But in the book, Harry grabs Quirrell's face, but Dumbledore comes to save him right before Harry dies. Why the change? And the book didn't exactly explain what happened to Quirrell or did it. I think it's implied what happens to Quirrell. In the end, when Dumbledore and Harry Mm -hmm. are having a conversation. um, Dumbledore says something along the lines of, Voldemort shows as much mercy to his followers as he does to his enemies. And we know Mm -hmm. he kills his enemies, so if he's showing as much, then he's also killed Quirrell. And in the movie, he does look like he dies, and we never see him come back. And I think later they reference that he is dead. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think if we're looking at the books only, there's still enough in what's said, even in that final chapter of Sorcerer's Stone, to think that, yeah, Voldemort left him for dead.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And it may simply be that the first book, the tone is more childish, and so we we just don't get a graphic description of Quirrell's death in the final scene—the way, you know, by books six and seven, it's like we're—I <laughs> yeah. mean, people are dying left and right. We're yeah. sort of desensitized yeah. to it. In one sense, it's no longer surprising, um, uh, but I think it, it is implicit at the end there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think we know that Quirrell died. It's not quite as dramatic as in the movie with the ash <laughs> face <laughs> situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <sighs> Uh, I I don't remember exactly how it's described now in the
1: in the book. I think it just burns Quirrell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Carrie's mm-hmm. touch burns him. And Voldemort just says, you know, keep grabbing him. Mm. So I'm not sure. But I th- I definitely think that we. It's clear that Quirrell is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, friends, we have reached the end of our bonus Q and A episode, that was a lot of fun really great questions we encourage you to send them in to hpbcfanmail at gmail.com remember we love uh, treating a comment or question at the beginning of every episode if we've got them Uh, we will be back soon in the meantime you can keep up to date with what's going on and we promise there will be updates on what's going on now that we're back in the swing of things Uh, that's on Instagram and Twitter at HPBC Podcast. Um, again, thanks for your patience. Thanks for listening. And that is.
3: Mischief, Mischief. Managed.